Welcome back to the Sleepover Podcast. This is Fandames with Parks and Nebula. And this week, our guest is so fun and easy to talk to that I completely forgot to introduce the show um, and to do a full intro. So here is our amazing guest episode with none other than Sunny Strait. I forgot I was wearing my little Debbie hat. Okay. (laughs) I love the hat. (laughs) Love the look. I'm ready to go whenever you press start. It's already started, baby. Oh, you didn't warn me. (laughs) That's the best beginning of anything. Oh, you didn't warn me. We have a long meeting. She doesn't let me do the intros to the podcast. And this is almost starting exactly the same way as last time because I have to explain it to every single guest we have. I am never allowed to introduce our show because I consistently mess it up, I guess. I just can't do it. So I'm never allowed to. See, you need to take that little segment you just said and record that and make that the beginning of every show. <laughs> I'm never allowed to do the beginning of this show. I'm never allowed to do the intro. Our editor cuts it out, so only the patrons know my pain. The every other <laughs> listeners just think it goes on smoothly every time. But yeah, only people who pay us can see us fuck up. Yeah, exactly. So this That's isn't it. live except for your patrons. It's not live for patrons either. It's all recorded, oh, okay. so we can so edit things edited. out. Yeah. So if there's anything like, oh, I can't talk about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Which is most of my conversation because I, I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. I just actually just uh, sent a message to the One Piece director, Anthony Bowling. I said, are we allowed to say that we're recording One Piece now? And he goes, yeah, you can tell them. And I was like, okay. He says, you have any other questions? You can text me while you're doing the podcast. I'm like, I don't think it'll be that complicated, <laughs> but maybe. Maybe. Well, that's how I was because I didn't know. I didn't know. So when Wano dropped in parts, I was blown away because I was really concerned because I'm currently watching through Whole Cake. And I was like, I'm about mm-hmm. to catch up past the dub and then boom, boom, pieces. And I'm so excited. I'm thrilled for Robbie Damon to be Odin. I didn't want anyone else to touch Odin. I was so scared and now it's here and I'm satisfied. Everything is good. I'm so glad One Piece is catching up very quickly. Yeah, I, we now have like two directors, at least this week, uh, doing it which makes me really hoarse most of the time. I'm like, I'll be sucking on lozenges the whole time I'm doing this. Because Usopp talks like this and then screams in that voice all the time. It kills me. He's one of my favorite characters, and it's just a love-hate relationship, I think. It's more and more sadomasochistic, I think, um, where I really love playing him, and he damages me. I think Usopp is one of my favorite roles you do. Um, I was talking to her about this when we were working on our recording notes. Um, I'm a longtime Dragon Ball fan. I didn't start getting into One Piece oh, until on. like three years ago. Not three years ago. I touched One Piece three years ago, didn't touch it again. And then I finally started watching it last year. And I watched through all of Alabasta and Skypea within the first three weekends of it because I was just trying to speed through wow. all the different costumes. And so your voice is already very familiar to me. And then I just love the humor that comes from early Time Skip One Piece. It's just so, I don't know, it's very nostalgic and comforting. And so when I had your Usopp voice coming with the funnier dialogue, it was, it was so nice. Usopp's one of my favorite characters. He's my favorite role you do. I love it. He's one of my favorite characters too. And Krillin as well. But what really frustrates me is when people say, oh, you use the same voice for Krillin that you do for Usopp. And it just 
Oh, I wish. I wish. Because Krillin talks like this, right? But Usopp talks like that with his hitch in his voice. And my God, that hitch hurts. You know? I would love to just do this all day. Hey, I'm Usopp. How's it going, man? You know? But yeah. he he's not that calm ever. No. Even when he's just sitting next to you. How you doing? I love it. I have to say this um, on part of my partner because he's at work right now. But he and I both absolutely love your Kuro-sensei from Assassination oh. Classroom. Well, I have to say that is my very favorite part. Is it really? Of all the parts I've ever played, yeah. Okay, I, I was going to ask because it's the one that like means the most to him and we both just sobbed through the entire show because <laughs> it's so good and so weirdly heartwarming in ways you do not anticipate and I need mm-hmm. Parker to watch it so now maybe this will be the kick in the tail <laughs> to sit down and watch I've it. I've had a million kicks in the tail because my sister has watched it and she loves it. She sends me memes about the opening of it because it's a good opening. I just haven't watched yeah. it yet. And it's only two seasons. It is a very solid script. The characters are solid. You will really appreciate the ride. I mean, especially yeah. if you watched so many arcs of One Piece in a weekend, you'll get through this in a day. I'm almost caught up and it's been a year. But it is such a good show and um, I, I got cast in that show, uh, without even auditioning. I showed up for Joel who was directing one piece at the time. And, uh, I looked at the screen. I said, this doesn't, this isn't one piece. What is this? And he goes, Oh no, this is a assassination classroom. I went, Oh, cool. He says, yeah. Uh, I said, what am I playing? He goes, you're the lead. And I went, what? <laughs> Give me some heads up, dude. I would have researched this, you know, but like, probably seven lines into it. I was like, I totally get this guy. I, and I know what's up with him. And I just, I rode that character so hard. I loved it. I, I loved it so much. I didn't even realize it was your voice until about three episodes in. And then my partner and I both looked at each other and we're like, Holy shit. <laughs> it's sunny. Yeah, because It's sunny, but it's, it's a smarmier sunny as hi class. How are you doing? It's up here. It's very fun. It's it's so much different than what I'm used to from your parts, but in like mm-hmm. a really um, sweet spot of you think you're going to hate this character and then this character means the entire world to you. It's I love it. I love him so much. That's the Kuro best Sensei. kind of character. We saw a Kuro cosplayer at Level Up, actually, that had all the tentacles coming out of his coat and everything. I, when I started playing that part, I loved it. And I was like, this, oh, this is my favorite role. And then I thought, but nobody's ever going to cosplay this because it'd be too impossible. And yet I've seen so many Koro senseis that you cannot tell the cosplay community that they can't do something. They'll figure it out. Exactly. One girl came up to me at a convention and she was just wearing a a yellow wig, but she had it cut into a circle that the hair formed a circle on her face. And then she had the robes and everything. I was like, oh, that's ingenious. That looked great. That's so smart. All right. There you go, Parker. (laughs) We gotta make it Okay. Now. <laughs> okay. I'm not resistant. I'm not resistant. I just haven't had a moment. No, I know. I just like teasing you about there it. There is so much anime out there. I think Crunchyroll gets at least 20 new shows every three months. So you can never be faulted for not watching an anime. No. But I am telling you, watch this anime. It yeah. is really good. I and will. it is trending every week it came out on Cartoon Network. 
It was so good. I know. I just didn't jump on the train when it was coming out, and that's on me. It's just now, because I have so many conventions back-to-back, it's like my sewing room doesn't have a TV in it, so I have to sit there in silence while I sew through all of my projects until I'm done, and then I get like a two-week period to do what I want, and then back to the grind. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Is there no TV in there by choice, or you just, just don't want, want to put a TV in it's also my office for my actual full-time job. So it's just like, there's not enough space for like my other desk and then my sewing equipment. <clears throat> it's it's not by choice, but also if there was a TV there, I feel like I wouldn't be able to look down at what I'm doing. I need the yeah. forced solitude to actually finish something in time. So many of us have got used to working at home and, but watching TV while we work, you know, mm. it's just a multitask we've added to the job. That's literally what I was doing today. I was working from home today and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to pull up one piece on my second monitor. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> gotta, my sister and her husband both work at home. So they have two offices right next to each other, two giant screens, one's for watching TV and one to do work. <laughs> I need to do that. I'm tempted to get a side laptop to mount to my side and do it. But do it. We'll see. I don't know. Neb, are you three dresser yet then? No, I'm on episode Girl. 733. I finished 732 right before we started recording. What what part is that? Where is that in the story? Luffy, oh, for anybody listening, spoilers for Dressrosa arc. Um, so Luffy just got back up uh, after losing all his hockey, and he's just about to go fight Doflamingo. That happens like five times. <laughs> you gotta be a mm-hmm. little bit more specific. It's the one where they had like the big, like the 10 minute countdown, and then the... Uh, the oh, Coliseum the announcer. announcer. Okay, yeah, right. he comes back yeah, on and he's hyping everybody up. Oh, so yeah, all right. Rebecca and Viola are doing their thing, and then Luffy jumps in at the last second. I'm trying to be very vague. <laughs> My favorite arc is still Water Seven. Um, when Usopp gets uh, the money stolen from him, and spoiler alert, uh, mm-hmm. and he's crying and humiliated and angry all at the same time. I was recording that and. I was actually crying like tears down my face and I'd never ever experienced that on stage or anything on any other part except on that character. And I went, wow, because up until that point, he was more like a comic relief character, right? I didn't think he was going to have enough depth to actually move me that much, but he did. And so suddenly he became one of my favorite characters. Did the Mary scene tear you apart? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the I'd love playing that scene where he fights Luffy. Mm. You know, it's just like so intense emotionally, but also um, you realize that this is why he's still a vital part of the crew because this guy is powerful. He knows people and he knows how to use what they can do against them. You know, yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of people who complain about Usopp in a writing direction. I don't agree with them because he's the only like human I put in quotes for people who can't see me um, on the crew. He's the one that doesn't have like any innate supernatural ability like Sanji or Zoro or Brooke, even Frankie, even I don't know, but I'm talking about like the lower hitters. He's still more focused on like his intelligence. It's like people who say we don't yeah. need Nami because she's just there or whatever. When she's one of the most intelligent people on the crew, we need her to get going. It's the same as Usopp. Like just because he's not our shipwright anymore, like he used to be, doesn't mean he doesn't still play his role extremely well as a supporting character. Yeah, he just took out. A, I couldn't say. I don't want to say what I just did. Sorry. Anyway, he's he makes himself useful. 
I'm caught up on the uh, manga, so I know what Usopp's up to right now. We're good. Mm-hmm. I love him. I'm I'm gonna. Not, you don't know. <laughs> yep, I don't want to spoil it. You for did myself. see God Usopp, so I mean, you know, to some regard, how much he does. Yeah. True. Yeah. I Sniper King is still my favorite. Um, oh God, me too. Of Usopp. I just I love the song. That's not that's that not guy. That's just I do I do play both characters. I play both characters, but <laughs> they're, they're two the different people. I think. Yeah, but they're buddies, and he always asks them to come in and help out when Usopp can't mm-hmm. be there. So they're practically the same dude. They're they're like twins. Yeah, yeah. You would yeah almost say they were twins, <laughs> but not the same guy. You can't loop them together. Well, the main thing is, is one wears a mask and the other doesn't. Exactly. So incredible i don't know how to react to this <laughs> it's, a, it's a fact i don't know what you want it's me to fa- say. It's exactly <sighs> oh man okay i was i i'm also a cartoonist mm-hmm. and i drew uh a picture of uh of usopp meeting the sniper king to dispel all these rumors and what i did was i drew chopper wearing the sniper king outfit you should have drawn a uh, fake usopp who's wearing his mask later yeah, in um, Sabadi's time skip. Well, it doesn't matter. Whoever he is, he is in our hearts. He's a cool dude. Always, mm-hmm. he's locked on. It's cool. Locked on. <laughs> oh man, I actually wanted to ask you, Sunny, about your artwork um, mm-hmm. because well, that's a good I, segue. I well, you mentioned that you did cartoons, and I looked up your mm-hmm. um, We Shadows. I mm. believe is from. Like almost no over ten years ago, from when it started, back when Tokyo Pop was a thing. I oh Tokyo Pop was my shit when I was younger. Me too. I mean, they had some of the best translators. You know, Mm -hmm. you you could you could read those books and and not feel like it was clunky in the writing or whatever. It was always very very well written. It always felt like all ages typewriting too, which I mm -hmm. appreciated um, that the translation wasn't like too little kiddish or too adult it was very like right. conversational which i appreciated but i wanted to to point out for those who are listening and might not be aware of it of your art and just kind of hear about your your creative process when it comes to your um not vocal performance but your like two-dimensional art or your painting or your comic writing and what that kind of looks like now um in your career yeah um i was actually a published comic book artist before i was a voice actor and I started voice acting like 150 years ago, something like it was a long time ago. So um, it was a different thing then, you know, things are much different now. Um, when I started and when I, I started self-publishing and I would print it in black and white. Well, back then, manga wasn't a thing in the United States at all. So you were kind of looked down upon if you did comics in black and white, you know, they would I keep on my table and they'd flip open the page just enough to see if it's in black and white or color and they would go, if it's in black and white, it'd be black and white and they'd go away. Um, so it was a very different market. And when I, when I finally got to be a voice actor, uh, one of the first conventions we went to was Comic-Con and at Comic-Con, uh, all of a sudden those same guys that were just rejecting me were now clamoring for my autograph. Right. And I was there with Chris Sabat and Sean Schimmel and Stephanie Nadolny. And they're all like, Oh, isn't this cool? We're signing autographs. And I'm like, cool this is vengeance this is amazing (laughs) and i was signing we did not know this at the time but we were signing in the cartoonist wendy peeney's booth area 
And the reason we didn't know, we were out having lunch and the guy manning the Funimation table had filled the entire table area with toys and merch. And it was just, there was no place for us to sign. Well, they asked Wendy and her husband, Richard, if it'd be okay if we could sign in their booth. Well, it's kind of expensive to rent booth space out there. And they're like, no, you know. And then Wendy said, wait, who wants to sign? And it says the Dragon Ball Z actors. And she went, oh, my God, I love Dragon Ball Z. So she said, yeah, set up the table right here and they can sign right here. So we come running in. We just sit down. There's a huge line. We don't even looking up and we're just signing. And people keep saying Wendy Peeney's name over and over. Well, I love her book, ElfQuest. I had read it since I was a kid. And I said, why do you guys keep saying Wendy Peeney? And he says, because she's right next to you. And I went, whoa. And she's like, hi. And I went, oh, my God. And then I just turned into a total fanboy because that's the way I am around cartoonists. Um, I, and so I just said, I, I love your work. I've been reading this as a little kid. And she's, she said, oh, well, I'm a big fan of yours. And I went, shut up. She goes, no, no, no. I, I love Dragon Ball Z. And I went, what? And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, me and my dog, Chewy, we'll take a break from drawing. And then we'll go down and watch uh, Dragon Ball Z and then go back to work. And then she started drawing pictures of our characters with her characters. I went, okay, she doesn't know I'm a cartoonist. So I went back to the hotel room. Interesting enough, this is another story, but Chris and Sean and even Stephanie and I were all booked in the same hotel room. It was a different thing until Chris insisted that, that Stephanie get her own hotel room. But anyway, so we were all there and I said, you know what I'm going to do? Because this is so nice of them to let us sign. I'm going to draw a picture of her main character, Cutter, the elf, looking at our characters. And then I'm going to put like empty voice balloons for all of our characters. And all of us will, we can all write a personal thank you to the Richard and Wendy Peeney for letting us sign in their booth. And so we did. And I gave it to her and she's like, I didn't know you could draw. And I said, yeah, I've actually been published. And she goes, do you want to draw for me? And then suddenly the floor just vanished and I went off into space for about a thousand years and I came back Sunny the white. And I was like, <laughs> it, is that a trick question? <laughs> yes, I'll draw for you. And so uh, she said, oh, great. Okay. And so I, I went home and I was going to draw it from my home in Dallas and she was in uh, Santa Monica. And then I thought about it and I kind of felt that my art had hit a ceiling and I always wanted to study under a master. And so I called her up and I said, hey, um, yeah, I am so honored to do this book, but I want to change the terms. And she was like, oh, you want more money? And I went, no, no, no. I want to be your apprentice. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, I would love to study under you. And she said, okay, move to uh, Santa Monica and you work in my studio. So I flew out there. I worked in her studio and I would fly back once a month to record Dragon Ball Z, which is the only show we had at the time. So it was pretty easy to manage. And she would critique my work every day. She'd say, this works, this doesn't, and this is why. And I grew so much, like more than 10 years on my own in that one year I was in her studio. That's incredible. And then we became fast friends after that. She was actually the best man at my wedding. That's Aww. awesome. That's amazing. I was getting married. And I was like, I, I don't really have any close guy friends to be the best man. And she goes, Wendy's your best man. I went, you think she'll do it? She says, ask her. And she said, not only will I do it, I'll wear a tuxedo. Yes. So, Wendy rules. This is she's awesome. She's a queen. Yeah. That's awesome. I am also an artist. No kidding. Any, anything else. I do two-dimensional art and went to school for it. And I, Parker just 
picked me up like a kitten at the scruff of the neck and threw me into costuming. So that's what I've been doing more recently. But I you do noticed too? I do not do comics. I like comic characters. I like reading comics, mm. but I cannot for the life of me redraw a character the same way multiple times. <laughs> that is the that is the hardest thing to master is coming up is keeping it consistent from panel to panel. Yes, and that's that's one of my my biggest weaknesses when it comes to art, but I was looking at your wee shadows <laughs> and I noticed that you can like see your character voices like the the kind of like personality that your voices take form mm -hmm. in in your artwork that even just skimming through we shadows i'm like oh this looks like how krillin sounds or this <laughs> looks like the energy that Usopp brings or kuro sensei brings and i just thought that was so cool to see the connection between the two so well thank you for to... saying that i mean i mean honestly that i do think that being a voice actor helped my cartooning as well because you're getting inside the head of a cartoon character, right? And and also a lot of those characters I based on fellow voice actors, you know, uh, not really their them, but how I know they would play those characters. So it was a really interesting way. I'm just basically stealing their souls and saying, <laughs> "Your soul get into this character. How would you do it?" And I knew how they would perform it. Just uh, a little puppet Carly master. Yes, Colleen Clinkenbeard and Laura Bailey are two of the main characters as well. And my wife is one. The The main character, Goat, is actually based on an ex-girlfriend of mine. Oh, all right. Well, How's nice. that been continuing to draw it? <laughs> it's great. I'm, I'm friends with all my exes. I have to be because it would be like so many people to, <laughs> to, to not be friends with. <laughs> Man, Sonny's a player. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to be. Now I'm just old. <laughs> and I wear funny hats. <laughs> that's that's what it's like that's what happens when yeah. you get past the age of 30 you get a silly hat and just run yeah. with it it wasn't so much that i was a player though it was that i was very difficult to be with mm. i I, now just, I have to know <laughs> <laughs> well you know what it really has to do with being an, an artist you know and being obsessed with drawing and i and it sounds really romantic to be with an artist and everything but when they're working every night, all night long on a comic or whatever, and they're obsessed, and that is their main obsession. That is, this is their mistress, you know, they spend so much time with. It really loses its charm, understandably, very quickly. And yeah. luckily, the woman I'm with now and have been with for 22 years, uh, she, she's uh, an amazing singer. She's been in several bands. She's pulled me into bands that I didn't want to be in. Um, but she's an artist as well, so she gets it, you know. Yeah, that's I've also struggled with being with someone who isn't an artist or is more technical mindset. And it's like, I, I can't deal with you because they don't they don't get that zone that artists get or that anyone that's creative in any sense gets like musicians, performers. It's a special energy. Yeah, they, that and that's why I think that so many um, voice actors that well, any artist really is good at many arts, because I think it's just the same source and how you apply it you know if you just really like guitars and you can connect to that source you can be a damn good guitar player you know yeah, exactly i don't know any funimation actor who's just an actor you know usually they also are musicians or artists or whatever are all three or more yeah definitely and you both being artists you probably know that as well yeah, yeah. i myself have stepped out of 2d <laughs> art because i just 
I don't know. I was on a really good peak and I was having a great time, but I was also in the medical field. So it was kind of hard to balance my medical, like working day to day, 24 hour shifts versus like my actual physical art. And I was a watercolor painter. I love doing it. I love doing landscaping. Mm -hmm. I love doing urban cityscapes. I love painting, but I just couldn't handle it anymore. And so I kind of focused on my other tactile thing I could do. And that was specifically going into creating costumes because it was easier for me to visualize and feel like I'm putting in the same workflow that I was before when I was working in that medical field of being able to Plus do it's more mystical manifestation because you're actually <laughs> taking this this creative idea and creating something that exists in this plane, you know? Yeah, I, I just learned how to do traditional armor um, technically. I mean, it's made out of foam, so it's not the full traditional way. But my Onigashima armor for um, Nami is done and tied traditionally like it would be. The only difference is that there's a secret zipper. But I still had to learn how to do those techniques and bring them to life mm. and make it all work. And I looked awesome. Um, so <laughs> it's cool. But it's just... I feel like because I've dipped so far into 3D and making everything by hand, doing 3D printing, sewing, painting, foam work, whatever, it's really, really hard for me personally to step back into 2D art because I can't like bring myself to make it to that same fantastical level I'm able to make it in like. In yeah. I mean, once you re re achieve a certain level of proficiency, it's very hard to go to another art and start at square one. Exactly. Like when I turned 50, instead of buying a fast car for my midlife crisis, hopefully I'll live to be 100, I um, I decided instead to pick up uh, playing guitar. Hmm. So I've been playing guitar in my 50s now, and I finally got to the point where I can play and sing without looking at my fingers. You know, uh, I don't ever plan on being uh, amazing at playing guitar, but it's just that after a while, you know, you're going to master your sewing so much, you'll go, I need to do another mountain to climb. And sometimes that means going at square one again. And that can be, that can be also thrilling as well, you know, because then it's all new equipment, you know, all new stuff to buy at Michael's or whatever, you know? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It's like, you know, when you're a teenager and you have all this energy and stuff to do, so you feel like you're a master of all, or sorry, it's a jack of all trades, a master of none, where it's like, yeah. I do a million things, but I don't have anything like I feel perfect at. And then I get a little bit older and I finally find that niche, but it makes you sad to lose everything else that you've been using to get there. That's kind of how I feel about my 2D art. That's why I let Neb do all of the assets. <laughs> I'm always afraid of mastering anything um, because I'm afraid of, of not improving because I think that I've got it, you know? Um, and I also, like I tell my students all the time, cause they always like, Oh, he's so much better than me or whatever. It's like, he's not better than you. I guarantee you he's not better than you. Art is not a competition because if it was, we would have a winner by now. We have been doing art for thousands and thousands of years. Who is the winner of art? We don't have one. Art is self-expression. That's all it is. And if you're starting at square one or you're a, considered a master, you're still expressing you, you know, and nobody expresses Nebula or Parker better than Nebula or Parker or Sunny Strait. Exactly. It's, I'm doing my best. I, it's weird. I love No, you're art. doing you. You're doing you, which is yeah. your best. I am myself. I'm a plant that just needs a little sunlight and water and I'll make it through. It's cool. No, you know, you, you need my wife yelling at you. That's what she does <laughs> exactly. to her plants. With her shears. Get the water, I'll cut you. 
that's what my mom used to do um she would threaten not to cut our fingers off but just cut them a little bit if we would like <laughs> fuck with her stuff too much yeah another piece of the puzzle has been laid <laughs> Also, Sunny, I need you to understand that Parker is shit-talking her costuming skills. She made, what is it, 35 costumes last year? Damn. For myself or for, like, other people? Total. Uh, 39 Yeah. So for other people? So feel free to threaten her with the shears. Like, two and a half a month? You make two and a half costumes no, a month? No, more. No, more. Wow. Um, I made a soba mask in two weeks. Um, Damn. that was a feat. <laughs> yeah, um, and it looked phenomenal. Thank you. That was now, my you, first time. You, do, you sell these online, or what do you do? Nope, I make them all for myself, or I make them for my partner. Um, if you want later, I can link you my Instagram if you want to see what I do. But yeah, I'd love to. Started learning to make costumes for my partner. I've never sewn for another person. I've been sewing for a decade for myself, but I still feel like. Because I have a, I'm six four and I have a very very skinny body type, so it's hard for me to find clothes for myself. So I learned how to sew, trying to make pants that would fit my super long legs or things that would just fit me. And so I never learned how to sew traditionally with patterns. I would just make it up from my body type because I. Oh wow! How long have you been sewing your own clothes? Probably since middle school. Um, I would mostly Whoa. make like leggings. You were, you were tall then too. Yeah. Oh my god! I was six three in seventh grade. Um, mm. I was probably like five, six in first or second grade. I was pretty tall m- most of my life. My dad is six, six and comes from a family of really tall people. My mom is mm. six, three. My sister is like 19 or 20 and she's like six, three as well. I'm the tallest of both my mom wow. and my sister. Um, but we're super tall. What a so cool I- solution. I'm just going to make my own clothes. I like it. <laughs> 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 it's extremely frustrating sometimes, but that's how I learned. And my aunt does dance costuming. So I was able to use her as a reference when I wanted to start going more into cosplay rather than just normal garment making. So still no traditional patterns. She would just help me make them myself, like draw them out for me or just mail them to me. And until my boyfriend, whom I've been with for a year now, who was doing cosplay before we met, blah, blah, blah. He stopped because of COVID. Once we started dating again, he's like, well, I like to do this. I don't really know or how to do it myself as much to a technical extent. Will you help me do this? Like, I'll pay for it. Just will you do it? So I learned how to sew for another person. And technically, Sangaro, the um, Wano uh, commission was my first thing I sewed for another person. And then I made Stealth Black the following two weeks after that. Um, I made him Del Flamingo. I uh, (laughs) mostly one piece costumes for him, but I try to do a bunch nebula um, are you are you also over six feet tall no i am five foot two <laughs> i am very teeny tiny um i have been this tall since i was 12 i want to say i'm 25 and i mm. remember being at the doctor when i was in like sixth grade and he's like yeah you're you're not gonna grow anymore dude this is it like are you sure not even a half inch not even a little bit so i went through the same thing because in junior high i was five seven and I am 5'7 now. <laughs> so I at one point I was like, yeah, okay, this is working out pretty good. You know, I'm pretty much the same height as all the guys. And all of a sudden I'm in a forest of men in the hallways in high school, you know? Yeah. I uh, went to high school with a guy who was my height. He's 5'3 and still is 5'3. In middle school, yeah. I dated someone who was 4'11 when I was six foot. 
Um, and I think at his like growth spurt, he went to only five four. So <laughs> see, that's I need to learn how to make my own clothes too because when you're a short guy and you're fat like me, it's like it's really hard to find anything to wear except like jerseys like this or you know um uh and and t-shirts and stuff like that but th- th- to get really cool clothes very few people know how to make the right kind of cut uh mm-hmm. for for that size and like my wife sometimes shops at this place called Torrid it's like yeah. a hot topic place right and I, why don't they have a thing for guys you could call it horrid and it just be for short fat guys you know i would be there every week love it I think for sure I'm I do fashion stuff because of it but I think that the way that body uh, inclusivity is very narrow still we're not getting anything mm. but although it's starting to get better for women we're not getting any better for men it's like yeah. all men either get t-shirts jerseys things that are very loose fitting or the mm. worst fitted suit you've ever seen in your life they yeah. don't tailor it you just kind of look like you're drowning it's not flattering it's very unfortunate how we handle it. Um, that's why I do my own clothes. Cause although I can't like complain cause I'm still very skinny, I can fit into a size four, like maybe just don't go for anything longer than like my knee. Um, I can make it work, but like getting pants for me, it's like a $90 expense every time yeah. just to get them to fit me for the most basic pair of jeans. Someone else could buy for 20 bucks at Target. Well- Anime, especially like uh, One Piece and Dragon Ball, they've been getting uh, movie releases, right? Mm-hmm. So we've had to walk red carpet and, and Hollywood and stuff like that. And they don't give you a budget. So I I have to tailor everything I buy, you know? The coat you wore to the red premiere was amazing. The pink one? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Love I was it. looking around this really funky store. They had all kinds of great suits. And I went, pink. And my wife said, that, you got to get that. And I said, I think you're right. That's the one. You absolutely nailed it. I honestly <laughs> think, because my partner has a similar um, issue that you do, Sonny. He's like really broad shouldered and he's long mm-hmm. torsoed, but he's like 5'10". So he's in that real average range. So it's hard to find things that fit his height. And the best option I would say would just be buy something that's too big if you can find it and then alter it down and teach yourself how to do those little things. Like See, that's what I need to, to do. I need to learn how to alter large because I always buy larger than my size and I just wear it. And I'm like, okay, I just baggy. That's me. I'm a baggy boy. This is the seamstress hack. Just put it on inside out, get safety pins, and then put it to your figure and it's a single stitch down on each side. That's the easiest way to take in clothing. Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Just Well, my wife sews a bit. Maybe she could do that. You sew things inside out anyways. So if you try it on inside out, then you'll know exactly how it's going to fit you. Okay. You can just follow the seams that are already there just to your measurement. This is the best interview I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's a good thing. Like I specifically had to, the biggest like challenge for me was how to make things that were not realistic because I started off with like League of Legends cosplay if you're familiar with it Mm -hmm. um, where I had things like floating weapons in front of me and so it's like I really had to push myself to learn how to make things a little bit easier while still keeping them fantastical and cool and pretty from afar Um, and it was really hard because I just knew how to like sew basic skirts leggings whatever so trying to like flip it on its end to be a more specific 
angle, I guess is the easiest mm-hmm. way to describe it, was very difficult for me. And so I learned how to just try to make everything as simple as possible first and then build upon it. So breaking down the simple shapes of like taking it a top after I just guessed on this pattern, I don't know. Most of my patterns are guessing. I know what a dress looks like. I draw it down. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. I'll take it back in. Um, that's how I get through a lot of it. That's why I don't do competitions because I'm lazy. But it's really <laughs> <laughs> once you get down like the basics of it, it's so nice. I- it doesn't sound like you're lazy. It sounds like you only want to do what you want to do. When it comes to that, it's lazy. Call her out, Sunny. Call her out. <laughs> she needs it. Well, I keep. I don't know. I practice every day because I fix my own clothes. I make my own clothes. I fix my mm-hmm. boyfriend's clothes. When you sew, everyone in your friend circle or life will be like, "Hey, you know how to do this. Can you do this for me?" So you learn how to do it that way. Because if someone has a hole in their shirt, you're the only one they know who can fix it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. I'm the same way when it comes to drawing. I mean, it's like. I produce not nearly as many comics as I probably should, but I draw every day. Mm-hmm. It's just, I want to draw what I want to draw. And sometimes what I want to draw is a book. And when I do, like I just finished one, we'll probably be publishing it pretty soon. But for a year before that, it was just me filling up tons of sketchbooks, you know? I love that. Small projects, get it done, but... Yeah. Yeah. I picked it up an unhealthy habit with my breakdowns. So now I can finish a costume in like two weeks. I did baby five for a friend for a commission and I finished that in three days. Uh, what was the quote you just said? Small projects, get it done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where I am too with like this, this comic book I just did. It's just me and my buddy. Uh, I said, write me a plot mm-hmm. and then I'll draw it and then we'll both write it. And yeah. on top of the drawings and it'll be, all short stories. That way they're complete stories in themselves. I know I'll complete them and they'll be done. And there's no expectation for it after. If I want to do more, I can do more, you know? So is it like an anthology series? No, it's uh, based on these characters we came up with in our college years. I say our college years, we both dropped out of college, but uh, it was a book called The Sex Gophers. And The Sex Gophers were originally a, a rock band, right? Uh, there was George Gopher who played bass, uh, Stoner Mouse played guitar, and um, Rocky the Boxing Paper Bag was was a box. It was a paper bag had big arms sticking out of the side of it with boxing gloves and a smile drawn on the front. Uh, he played drums. Anyway, we we did like several stories, and I just fell in love with the art of comics. I'd never drew a comic book before, and so I started drawing these co- these Sex Gopher comics, and then. We started getting, we did another story called The Atomic Punk that got published. And that's when I dropped out of school. I was like, oh, screw school. I'm going to draw comics now, right? But recently, it was, it was during the pandemic when things were pretty depressing, when we we're all in lockdown and everything. And I started just thinking about happier times. And I was thinking about back when we were kids drawing the sex gophers. And I said, hey, let's do some sex gopher stories. And we did. We did, I probably have 150 pages of sex gopher comics I've drawn, but they're too depressing and sad because that was going on at the time. Right. But it was, it was helping me recover or at least feel good about who I am in this hell hole we live in. Right. And then, um, you know, things started getting better and everyone's disposition started getting better. And then I said, let's do from scratch. We'll just do another one. And now we've got enough of, uh, I think like three short stories. That'll be a, 24 page book 
it's kind of like packing the wound for your creativity sometimes because yeah. like for me when I started sewing and stuff um, for cosplay it was specifically only for conventions I was not considering myself like a model I just wore costumes I made costumes but when COVID happened all of us basically were displaced because we don't have conventions to wear things to and that was mm-hmm. kind of when I started doing mini photo shoots with my friends like we didn't have to worry about being too close to each other we just do long shots masks uh, far away whatever and that's it was enough to get me by because I didn't have to make all these big builds that would take too much out of me or put me in dangerous places because I couldn't go out to craft stores because I'm immunocompromised. Um, I couldn't leave my house basically still, even after yeah. everything was like a little bit more relaxed. And so doing those tiny, tiny things throughout COVID when everything kind of sucked was really nice to come out of it. Not that we're fully out of it, but whatever. Yeah. It was good to keep going. Yeah. 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 It was just something to keep you. Um, well, it's not just busy work, but it's also it's exercising that creative muscle mm-hmm. and also feeling a connection, you know, and as cartoonist, it's hard to, and probably also as a seamster, you you guys don't feel a lot of connections, such a solitary job for the mm-hmm. most part. But if you are working in a tandem with other people for something, then you do feel that connection while you're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very curious. Do you have any plans to release like a full book that would just be like comic strips or of any of your little like? I've actually done stories? a couple of comic strips. There's um, if you look up Sunny Straight Car Bombs comic, okay. Uh, I did a comic strip called Car Bombs, uh, and it's a uh, it's about initially it was about two ninety year old men who start a goth metal band. It's all about bands for me. Uh, Love it. Because I've been in so many bands, I know what the stories are like. Um, but it's these, and it's really just based on my friend Tom and I, a guy I knew from high school. And what if we were ninety years old and decided to start a band at that point? That's so fun. Oh no, that's yeah. awesome. I love it. I I was the kid that collected the Calvin and Hobbes books and like oh, Pearl Horse Wine. So it's it's so fun to talk to somebody who's also like into both sides into reading it, enjoying it, but also creating it. My, probably my first love, my mother, my mother drew and she, she, we'd be watching cartoons like Yogi Bear or something. And she'd just be sketching and she'd go, look, and it was Yogi Bear. And I was like, holy crap. And when I was, I think I was six, she, uh, I was looking for something to do. And she said, okay, here's this, there's a comic strip called Beetle Bailey. And it took place in the military. And there was this little dog who dressed in a uniform who was just, they called Otto, I think. And he had a stake in his hand, a big old stake. She says, I want you to go to your room and I want you to draw this dog. I said, okay. She goes, nah, I don't want you to come out until your picture looks exactly like that picture. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a puzzle. So I went in there and I looked at it and I realized if I like zeroed in on one part of that line and it was over here, I could kind of follow along that way, you know, while I was doing it, while looking at it. And I gave it to my mother and she goes, oh, that's very nice but I want you to do it again. And this time I don't want you to trace it. And I went, I didn't trace it. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to show you how I can prove to you. If you put the cartoon on top of this and line it up, this doesn't line up. You didn't trace this. And I'm like, no, I just drew it. And she goes, Oh, draw this, draw this, draw this. <laughs> and so she was always encouraging me to draw. And my dad was always encouraging me to do cartoon voices when he taught me how to do Donald duck. When I was two, I know four, uh, he would, he would read us stories in, 
I can't do this road as I used to, but uh, it's hard to do now. It takes a lot of wind, and I'm too old for it. But uh, anyway, it's like that pocket of air, isn't it? It's like you have to yeah, have a it's pocket. Not a, it's not a voice; it's a whistle. Because you can talk in Donald Duck and talk with your voice at the same time. You got this possessed duck sound. We just summoned the demon that is Donald Duck. Yeah. So my parents kind of kind of sealed my fate from an early age. I think they had a pact with the devil or something. But <laughs> They knew exactly what you were born to do. and yeah, made You are going to draw comics and you are going to do cartoon voices. You don't have a choice. That's your, your lot. Worked so out. was there a particular like comic role or voice role that you remember kind of looking at or watching and being like, oh, I want to be a voice actor like that or I want to do something yeah. like that? Uh, Mel Blanc, uh, who did all the Bugs Bunny and yeah. uh, wrote all, all those voices. Uh, I loved him to death. I also loved Hanna-Barbera characters when I was a kid. Um, there was uh, the wacky racers and things like that. They just all had these incredible wacky voices, right? And I remember one point when I finally became a professional cartoon voice actor, and I was bemoaning the fact that I didn't get to do cartoons like when I was a kid, like Underdog and stuff like that, right? And then I watched Underdog on YouTube, and I was like, that is the stupidest cartoon I've ever seen. In my Thank God for anime, because I've grown and I've, I've become a more sophisticated. I mean, I did a lot of serious theater for 14 years before I was even at Funimation, right? So to be able to take these funny voices and make people cry with them is amazing to me, you know, to take it onto a to make these funny, goofy noises that I used to irritate people with and get in trouble in school with, and then be able to take it to a sophisticated level is just amazing. That's so cool. I just, I, I love talking to, to all these voice actors that we've been so fortunate to meet uh, more recently because you guys have such unique, creative ways that you approach every character and every project. And it's so awesome to hear you talk about it. And, and nobody comes to the field even the same way. You know, every, like people say, how do you get into voice acting? I'm like, I don't know. You just do it, you know, because everybody I know gets in a different way. Everyone has a different story. Everyone uses different strengths. And that's how I also know that if you're creative in one thing, you probably can do this as well. You know, as a matter of fact, I teach voice acting classes now and I'm pretty certain I can teach anyone to find the actor in them. I yeah. at this point I have not lost anyone. Everyone has gotten better over each weekend. And sadly I don't have enough time to do it now like I used to. I'm probably good. I've got one in May and I might do another one before the end of the year, but I used to do it every month. But I've got a method where I I just I get them talking about them, their life and find out get them talking in an emotional place. And when I find them get emotional, that's when I grab them and say, hold on to that, you know, and then we pull it and, and it always works. I might put my boyfriend in one of your classes. Cause you know how there are some people who are just naturals when it comes to being characters. And I mm -hmm. don't mean like specific characters. I just mean like for whatever atmosphere or whatever, he's able to naturally get into it. Like it's nothing. He's the funniest person I know. And he's so good at it. He's been doing like the visual bits. He's been making fun of Mr. Beast um, and doing like those. And it just, it cracks me up every time, but he doesn't like feel like he can do it. Cause one of our friends is also a voice actor um, who's friends with Robbie and is using that to kind of get her place into um, other things. And so we've all been telling him like, just get, 
your foot in the door. Just try a little yeah. bit. So we're trying to. So I'm so many voice actors now class. are teaching. If I was a young actor at this point, I would just take everybody's class mm-hmm. just to be seen. You know, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. most of these actors are also directors or have been directors or no directors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's rule one is to be seen. You know, yeah. and then and then show them your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. I was also one of those actors. It was just totally natural to me. I struggled with cartooning i do to this day i still struggle with cartooning and that's why i love it because it's still a challenge to me um i struggle with singing you know i even though i was in choir and for years and years and took private voice lessons and stuff like that i sing it well enough in character generally mm-hmm. you know uh, my wife is a singer and i you could tell the difference it's like salieri next to mozart i'm going oh my god that's the magic flute i can hear it in your voice yeah um but I do have that with acting and I've had it from the beginning. I just was a natural actor and, and from day one, I could just grab the audience. I knew what to do with them. But even then I still learned a lot um, from other actors. Like one of my friend Howard, when the first show I did, I had the audience laughing and he goes, okay, but here's the thing. You got to hold for those laughs a little bit longer. I said, what do you mean? He goes, Wait till they start to decrescendo and then give them the next line. And I was like, okay. So the next night I was out there doing the same lines, but waiting and then giving them the next one. I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. You know, but that was my first show, you know. Um, but I've learned how to teach though. I've learned how to deconstruct what's going on subconsciously. And I did that years ago, even before I was a voice actor, I was teaching uh, acting classes at the community theater for kids seven to 18. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember I was teaching this kid, she was, uh, playing an Oompa Loompa, uh, and, uh, she had this monologue and it was just, she was just reading it. It just sounded red. And I don't remember what I said, but I made some kind of connection with her. And then I saw her eyes light up and I said, now read it now from the beginning. And she did. And I was like, ah, okay. So the demon has not possessed her. She knows what to do. And, and, it, and, it, and then every time she read it, it got better and better. And not only that, she became more dynamic as a human being. Like the other, she was used to be very shy. And all of a sudden she was like holding court, you know? And I'm like, wow. And then I had a partner, Michelle, she and I uh, taught a lot of classes together. We were up in the, in the booth watching the performance and she goes and does her Oompa Loompa speech and I'm just crying. And she and Michelle goes, what's wrong? And I went, oh, nothing. nothing. It's like, oh, my God, she's owning it. She's owning the room, you know. And from that's then awesome. on, I really just wanted to, to feel that again. So, you know, that's what I try to do with my students is when I get them there, there's no better feeling in the world. And teaching is so difficult when yeah. you think you know your craft and then you go to teach someone and you realize you don't know shit. <laughs> Well, when I when I became Wendy's apprentice, she was a, she's a natural artist, you know, as it it just comes naturally to her. She doesn't know how she does it, and for the first month she was a horrible teacher. And I finally said, "You have to break this down. Think about where where this is coming from cuz so I can learn it from you, right?" And she was like, "Okay." And she started thinking about it. She said, "Oh, okay. I do I I realize I do think this when I do this, right?" And then one point I was drawing and she, and she walks to the drawing table and she goes, she grabs my hand like this. And she goes, loosen up, draw with your whole arm. Don't just draw like this, you know? And I was like, 
oh, okay, you know? And all of a sudden it was like, oh, 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 I get it now. I've got more control of the whole page, you know? Oh, yeah. I've had many a college professor walk up to me and grab my shoulder and draw with your whole arm. <laughs> I've been told over and over and I still find myself just being all in the wrist. I can't help it. Yeah, it helps if you hold your pencil like this. That that helps you move more. You know, no, I gotta hold it like a Disney animator. You gotta, you gotta do what I did in college, which was be yelled at by a very short, angry old woman while carving your, uh, your pencil because they wouldn't let you sharpen it. You had to carve it by hand, and then you hold up and move your whole arm, and then you'll learn to appreciate it. This is the 19th century, so you must learn to carve your pencils. I'm so glad I didn't go to art school. <laughs> it was so dumb. <laughs> I'm so glad I was like, I'm not paying anyone for a college class on art. What? It was art school in Oklahoma. You think you yeah, know what you're okay. doing? <laughs> you guys had to carve your pencils because you guys didn't have pencil sharpeners yet. All right, shut up. <laughs> I'm going to fight you. I'll tell you what, though. Even though I know now how to draw properly, my favorite way to draw is with a ballpoint pen and a sketchbook. Mm, and yeah. I will draw. And I, I just something about the flow of that ink. I like the way it feels, you know, and I can get really, really subtle and then really, really tight. And then what I usually do is scan that into Photoshop and then ink it in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a, a teacher in middle school, actually, um, one of my art teachers who is a mentor and I still keep in touch with him. He does comics as well. Um, but he <laughs> if he saw anyone drawing with a pen or a mechanical pencil, he would walk up and break it in front of you no. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> Only two, only number two pencils. You can't do it. And now I see him. He's drawn with inks and markers. He's, he's full of it. I see him. Well, the thing is, I don't, I like certain things. Like I can't stand cardboard rubbing against itself, that noise, you know, and pencils is like that. Drawing with a pencil is like that, but subtly, you know, it's like that. Yeah. That I, sound drives me insane. That's why I'm a mechanical pencil artist if I have to be. Yeah, but, but a ballpoint pen doesn't do that. It just... Nah, it's those big pens with the little plastic caps that are terrible. Those are so good to draw with. They're my favorite. I, the crystal, big crystal pens. I've been drawing with Absolutely. those for 40 years. And they changed them recently. You know, they go, oh, and I went, don't change them. But they still work. I was so freaked out because they, they, they said, new, new formula. I went, no, 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 stop it. I don't care how cheap it is. If it's not broke, don't fix it. It's the perfect it is the be- because big pens don't blotch as much as other pens do. No, they don't. They're so nice. Right. Occasionally, but it's rare, you know. When it does happen, it does look good. It pulls it off because it's kind of that cheap. It's like when you use um, material. We just have happy accidents. Exactly. Well, have you ever gotten a sketchbook that's like super nice and expensive? Like, I don't want to touch this. So it just no. go- you never had that happen? Here's the I thing. Do. I always say that a sketchbook isn't a sketchbook unless it has a coffee stain somewhere on it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of messing up like my nice books or putting <laughs> things that are not to my standard, I guess, in my yeah. actual nicer books. So I'll like do mostly I'm mostly a sticky pad artist if I draw. Like I'll draw on sticky notes and keep them around, post them up wherever. That's where I feel like in my zone. It's where I feel like there's less of a standard expected of me versus when I'm using like nice paints that I have because I still have all my equipment even if I'm not like physically doing it. Because if it's a fancy sketchbook, you feel like you got to do rough sketches before you put it in there. Exactly. Yeah. People are going to look at this as this this is a project Mm. instead of a sketchbook. Like I use standard Strathmore drawing paper because it's a very high quality paper for the money. Uh, but it's still just a sketchbook, you know, and it's nothing 
you're flipping through it, you're, you could expect to see like just random doodles or you could see something that's more finished, you know? I got to get over that. Too. I can't remember where I read it, but I think, I think it was a tweet um, that someone said every time they buy a new sketchbook, they throw it on the ground and step on it first. That way you don't have that expectation. That's a good idea of it needing to be perfect. I've seen artists now, like at artist alleys, who make nice journals or sketchbooks with their art on mm-hmm. the cover. It's like, how can you use that? I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> I can't commit to a nice book because what if I ruin the inside? I'm just going to put stickers in it. That's basically kind of what I do. Mm-hmm. But that's how I feel when I use like a Bic pen. It's yep. like, this is the perfect medium. I can't mess this up. I love it. Yeah, I agree. So, Sunny, I... I'm very curious if you ever do like fan art or little fan comics or anything of the characters that you portray just for you. Absolutely. Recently, I got in a kick of Alley Oop. You know who that is? No. This is an old, old comic strip about a caveman started in the 30s. And I just recently, I knew about it. I'd heard of it, but I stumbled across it from some YouTube show or whatever. And I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. And then I found it online and I just started reading it. From the 30s, I went, this is such a cool comic. It's so weird. So I've been filling up my sketchbooks with pictures of Alley Oop. That's awesome. And I, I drew, I've, I've got an idea for a painting where I want to do uh, Alley Oop uh, in a Frank Frazetta style painting, fighting all of these other cartoon cavemen like Fred and Barney and Captain Caveman and all these other weird characters. But uh, yeah, I do that all the time. I love that. I used to do it. I used to sell it. Like I used to do, somebody asked me on Facebook about 15 years ago, or do you take commissions? And I went, no, I don't really do commissions. I don't even know. Oh, how much, you know, would you really be willing to pay? And they said, uh, 10 bucks. And I went 10 bucks. Like, what would I, and then I thought, well, wait, what would I do for 10 bucks? You know? And I thought I'd probably draw one character on a card about this big, you know? And so I said, all right, I'll do that. And he liked it. And I posted it and people said, we should do this all the time. And I went, all right, I will do, um, 10. At 10 bucks, right? And it was, uh, I called it Sketchapalooza. And so I did those 10 and then everybody wanted it. So I said, okay, I'll do 30. And eventually I did 30 every weekend and it became so difficult, but it was also, they would sell out in a second. I would say, okay, ready? It's open for sale. Oh, it's already done. Okay. 300 bucks. Yeah, 300 bucks. And now I've got 30 drawings I got to do this weekend. Your weekend is gone. You're drawing other all these cartoon characters. But luckily, most people weren't very specific. They just said, this character, and then they let me do whatever I wanted with them, you know? So it was fun to explore these characters. And I would do themes, you know, like when, one weekend I drew everyone, whatever character you picked, I drew it to look like a Muppet, you know? <laughs> Love it. That's the best one. Yeah. And then eventually I was like, I can't keep doing this. It's too much. I, so I thought, well, I'll just raise the price and get it out of people's, you know, that's, so it was 50 bucks a drawing and those still sold out like that. And I was like, Oh my God, how do I stop? And then, and people kept complaining because, you know, I was only doing 30 and I have, I have 5,000 people on Facebook alone. Right. And I was like, shit. All right. I tell you what, I will go and I will take as many orders as I can get in one hour. Right. And then I will do that when it probably take me a year to finish it. Right. But if you're willing to wait, that's what we'll do. And they all agreed and they did it. And it was the biggest mistake of my life. It took me years, years to finish this. 
And then it was such an organizational problem, you know, and it's like, I didn't know if I fin- there may be ones I haven't finished today. I think I got them all done. I really think I do. And nobody said it, but like, I remember like maybe three years ago, somebody said, you never drew my sketch of Palooza. And I went, Oh, what did you have? You know? And I, I looked it up and went, yeah, you sure did. Let me draw it for you and send it out. So oh, I will never, ever, ever do that again. And now if you want a commission for me of $5,000. <laughs> or get an autograph at a con. Yeah, exactly. But I draw on everything I sign. Every time I sign, I will draw. I'll say, what's your favorite character I do a voice of? And I'll draw a quick head sketch of that character on the signature. That was one of your first TikToks that came up on my feed was you drawing Usopp. I love it so much. I'm so sad that you haven't been out to a con my way because I... Where's your way? I'm in Utah. I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's been um, a while. I have been to Utah a few times, but it's been a long time. It's been a very long time. And beforehand, I was a teenager with no money in my hands. But it's well, cool. Then you're dead She's to me. She's a little bit <laughs> travel now. I travel now. It's cool. There will be a chance. I'll, I will get mine. I love that you say you're in the middle of nowhere when you're in Salt Lake Shut City up, and I'm over here in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma really is the middle of nowhere. I used to live there. Where did you live? Tulsa. I was in the third grade. Yeah. Where do you live? Uh, I live in the Oklahoma City area. That's a little bit that's a little bit more sophisticated than Tulsa. See, you would think. And then Tulsa got real snooty and decided that they were better. And so for the past 10 or 15 years, they've been on like this big artistic movement and they're trying really? to like, build all what? these new things. Oh yeah. Tulsa is the place to go now in Oklahoma. They just put in this huge thing called the gathering place. And it's like half um hiking trails. There's like kayaks in Tulsa, you can Oklahoma? Rent. There's little museums that pop up at the gathering place that you can go to. They do events there. There's like a whole child hands-on learning and like playground area. Yeah, there's tons okay, of stuff. Let me let me now. tell you my Oklahoma experience. I was Please. in the third I was in the third grade. I never thought people were dumb. People were just people, right? Until I went to Oklahoma and I didn't even know how to define it, right? But I was I was out playing in at recess and some kids said, Hey, new kid. Do you want to play Stomp the Bee? And I went, what? Stomp the Bee? You never played Stomp the Bee? And I went, no, what is that? And he says, you see, if there's these bees that fly near the clover, you stomp on them, then you pick them up by the wing, and you put them in the ant bed. And I went, what? And sure enough, Stomp the Bee it consisted of stomping on a bee, grabbing him by the wing, and putting him in the ant bed. And I watched the kid do this, and then this ant would just attack this bee and drag it down into the ground. And I was just like horrified. This is like a, a horror show. This this bee. And he went down in the, into the ant bed. Into the, and I was like, what is happening to him? And then the bee fought his way out of the ant bed. He was like kicking and doing karate moves and shit. And he flew up in the air and the ants were falling off of him. He flew off and I went. I cannot play stomp the bay with you anymore because I respect bees way too much now. They're amazing. <laughs> that bee is the biggest underdog of our century. It's the hero of my life is that bee. Oh my God. Oh, it was so, so amazing and so horrifying. But that's, that was my Oklahoma experience. So when you say this is a cultural Mecca, I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> The only thing I'll go to Oklahoma for is Brahms. I'm not going for anything else. Brahms is the best. 
my my dad is from uh new jersey and he mm. moved to the oklahoma city area in 72 i want to say when he was in middle school um and his older sister came home from school the first day and my grandmother was like how was it how was everything and my aunt says well a lot of the girls are pregnant because i think that's the only thing to do around here yeah that was before we had walmarts to drive around in it was yeah that's that's what we did i was in high school so what do you want to do let's go to target and walk around for two hours i got so behind in math because i was only there one year and then i went back to uh, texas and that the math class consisted of this this little old lady sitting at a desk going all right y'all get started and then i went what does that mean? And I turned to a kid and said, what are we supposed to do? You're supposed to just pick any page in the math book and just work on it. What? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Just pick out a page and work on it. And so I would go to the adding and subtracting because I was in the third grade and I could do that easily. And multiplication, I just ignored it. I said, I'll just work on this. And I would turn it in and you weren't given a grade. The grade was needs to improve. That's all it was. Yeah, in Texas, that would be an F. There's a reason that we're 46th in education. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you were listing off how Tulsa was like getting bigger now, you listed things that are like trashy here because we have real things here. And I'm not in a big city. In every aspect of, I don't know, modern culture, daily life existing, In Oklahoma and like Kansas and the Dakotas and stuff, um, we are about 10 years behind everything because it takes so damn long for everything to move in from the coasts. Oh, that makes sense. Well, you sound like you're educated. You sound like a bright, educated young woman. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm the only um, member of my immediate family that went to a, well, that's not true. My mom, my, so my mom, my brother and I have graduated from a state college, but the college that they went to is technically no longer a state college. Ooh, taking so, a credit. Yeah, a little bit. Discrediting them. All right. I see it. But I also went to college in the boonies because I went to Oklahoma State, which is in between, it's like halfway between Tulsa and Oklahoma City. And it is so far out in the middle of nowhere that our apartment was in the direct flight line of the uh, medevac helicopter because it was the only hospital in like a 30 mile radius. Wow. Wow. Tell me more about how you're in the middle of nowhere, Parker. No, I mean, in terms of like things that matter, um, not in general, because we're still a huge skiing hub. We have Park City like 30 minutes from my house. And, you know, every celebrity you could ever know is there. I see Post Malone if I go to Murray sometimes. I went to the, uh, was where's the Norman Tabernacle? A Mormon Tabernacle that's Choir. That's straight downtown. Um, that's usually yeah. done at the Temple in Salt Lake. That's five minutes from me right now. The Temple. Um, that's an amazing place, though. I was there getting a tour there, and some the woman giving the tour is way off the other side. And she goes, "Okay, you see this? This is a pin. Listen, and you could hear ting just reverberate through the whole cathedral." Yeah, it that's is incredible. It's under construction right now, so it's nothing incredible oh, to no. look at. And it's actually an eyesore um, because mm. of how bad the construction has been going for the last two, three years. But the temple is gorgeous. Um, however, I may feel about religion and living in it. It is gorgeous. It's a really nice area. Salt Lake is very modern these days. I like it. I like living here. I'm not complaining that much, especially after being somewhere like Vegas. Oh, my God. I'm glad I don't live in Vegas. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I'm not a Vegas guy. I mean, I like I like going to the shows when I go there, but I'm just not much of a gambler. But um, my friend Wendy, she loves Vegas. And I was doing a convention in Vegas and she drove down um, to Vegas just to hang out with me and show me around. That crazy lady, she walked me seven miles all over Vegas to show me everything she loved about it. And I, oh, I got it. I got it from her. Yeah. We stayed at the Flamingo and I made her walk all the way from the Flamingo across the street to Caesars and then down all the way to Cosmo so we could go get breakfast inside of Cosmo. And then we went across the street to our, all the way down to Aria and then came back all walking the whole way the first day we got there because it was her first time coming to Vegas. And we were mostly there for level up because it's one of the cons that's nearby me. Yeah. Um, I like going to Vegas for a weekend. That's it. It was great for 36 hours. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I feel that way about a lot of places. Like, I love New York City for about 36 hours, you know? Yeah, I'm tired of being here after a minute. Maybe 42. Sonny, are you in the DFW area, or are you moved No, I'm in Connecticut now. Oh, shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. I moved up here, um, well, it was during the lockdown. Uh, Funimation at the time uh, was still running things over there, and they said, well, we're going to start letting you record from home. And I went, from home? Well, that means I don't have to live here. So where do I want to live? And our friend Linda had just moved to Connecticut the year before that. And Wendy, we were working on the last ElfQuest book together. It came out last year, but we were finishing it up. And I said, well, she lives about an hour and a half from here. So why don't we just move up to Connecticut? And that way I can do work in her studio if I need to. And and uh, and also I just to see something different, you know. That's awesome. And plus, because you couldn't see people, it was great to see nature, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of nature here. That's part of why I'm spoiled by being in Utah, too, because I'm right on the mountain, like, at all times of the day. It's really nice. Utah's beautiful. It's so beautiful, especially Is that where the Rock Candy Mountains are? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I drove through those, too, going down to um, the Grand Canyon from there. Yeah, I've been through the Grand Canyon Road. Um, it's always that same gorge you have to go through, whether you're going through to Nevada or to Arizona. And it's so beautiful to drive through. Um, Is it those, are those white trees, birch trees out there? Yeah. Oh, God, it's just so gorgeous. We have huge parts. There's really, really beautiful canyon drives out here because we just have so many little tiny canyons throughout our area because we're all on a huge plateau of, or sorry, we're in a basin, tons of mountain ranges around us. Yeah. Very spoiled by it. And then the salt flats are gorgeous. I don't know. We get all the weather. I like it here. I'm okay being here. I like all the weather too. Although I, I hear now that if I want to get any new roles, I'm going to have to move back to DFW mm. Uh, mm. so I can be local. I mean, I've got parts like, I'm, I, well, I can't say what I'm, I, but Krillin will be do it probably for another few years and Usopp probably another 10 years. But if I want to get any new roles, I'm going to have to really seriously go back. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I love the people there, but I just don't like Texas. Yeah. I, it's too hot. It's That's how hot. I feel when I was there for Akon. That was my first time being in Texas. Um, and the whole time we were there, we had like the, you know, the summer rain where it's sunny the whole time, but it is pouring. Um, I'm not used to humidity. So when that was all I had to deal with, I'm used to hot, but not humidity. That was a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, when you're when you're over a hundred degrees and your humidity is close to a hundred percent, you're basically just underwater. Yeah. You know, under hot water. I said I told my wife once, I said, it feels like there's a dragon breathing on me, you know? 
It's disgusting. And I grew up in it. I hate it. Yeah, me and my boyfriend were there wearing our One Piece cosplays and he was wearing Soba mask, which is, you know, it's the cape, the coat, the mask, the huge wig. He couldn't breathe the whole time. He was struggling because if we were outside, it was just wet. And it was June. And you're inside, it's crowded. And everybody's breathing around you. And you've got to walk down these really tight halls. And that was the year that Akon was at the Irving Convention Center, which was way too small. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crammed like crazy. It was a nightmare. But, I would do things yeah, like this. Nice. Guests coming through! And they would just <laughs> part the ways and i just run through the opening. <laughs> oh, man. And that was before you had to worry about COVID. Yeah, for real. Um, that was their first year coming out of COVID. So, you know, half mm. the people following COVID restrictions are not. Um, mm. uh, well, in the year before out. that, they did their convention outdoors the first weekend of June in Dallas, Texas. And that is horrifying yep that's the worst thing you can think of doing it was at a fairgrounds for three weeks. why not move it to the winter winters in dallas around 60 70 degrees you know it's beautiful great that's when they did anime mats or anime frontier just kidding anime frontier did that and it went off without a hitch but yeah now if you're doing conventions in florida it doesn't matter what time of the year it is it's going to be hot and humid and sticky the first time i did a convention there I had, I was always wore sports coats back then to conventions and everything. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work. And I went across the street. I brought a tank top and shorts and I just, that's what I wore to panels, to everything. Just, this is, it's too disgusting to not wear Speaking anything else. Of, um, Florida cons. I saw you're going to MegaCon, uh, MegaCon, which was so funny because the way they like did that announcement post, it just made me laugh because the first slide is like Chris Sabat and his co-host or um, his, um, what was the word they used? I don't know. But they like Cohorts. tagged it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I love that for the second panel, it was like Sunny Straight. And then all of these other people who are also big names, but they're not you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very funny way that they did it. Sunny Straight and not Sunny Straight. It's like, here's Usopp, guys. And then all of his friends, Luffy. <laughs> <laughs> I just, that was a very funny post that Megacon. I, I, love I don't the know way that I've ever done Megacon before. I'm looking forward to it, but it's it's going to be a huge convention for what I'm told. Yeah, my friends usually go because um, I have tons of friends who are in the Georgia, Alabama, uh, Florida area, and they all drive down to it every time. Um, when you have a place where there's like no conventions in those areas, people mm. are desperate for it. They will go. And Megacon is one of those main ones that people will always flock to just because they're desperate for something this time of the month because there's nothing where they're at. So it's always been kind of big. It's not like to the same level as like maybe KatsuCon or DragonCon, um, but it's it's pretty big for one of the ones out there. I want to go out to yeah. home mat at some point, but I'm afraid of Florida. <laughs> well, don't be you it. Just think linen when you're making your outfits and you'll be all right. Scantily clad is for me and not in a sexy way. It's a, I don't want to die out here. Kind of. <laughs> Just in a breezy way. Exactly. Although they don't care about that stuff in Florida. I've never been more shocked than when I went to Florida conventions. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I've told this at many conventions, but I was out. It was after hours. I was we're, This convention was all in a hotel, right? Mm-hmm. So I have the guests stay in the hotel, the, the attendees stay in the hotel, and then they had the panels there. And so I was just walking along this, the swimming pool, and this girl goes, you play Mace Hughes. And I went, yeah. And she flashed me. And I was <laughs> like, 
Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. And she did it again. And then her friend was sitting in the pool next to her, and he was just like this. <gasps> and I went, you've never seen this side of your friend before, have you? And he goes, and I said, son, you owe me. <laughs> I hope they're married now. I hope so, too. That would be a great beginning to a relationship. Yeah, she flashed Sunny straight, and I knew I had to be with her for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I mean, you're talking about the mecca of spring break. Those yeah. people yeah. there, they don't give a flip. No, they do not. That's why Katsu is in a crazy convention. I'm surprised the Gaylord hasn't, like, stepped in more. Because last year, they had people... Because Now, do you know how the Gaylord works? Like, all of the balconies face inwards to the convention center. That's what you told me. Okay. Um, they all face inwards, and they're all open balconies. And last year, the parties were so intense that people were throwing the furniture in their rooms off the balconies. Whoa. Yeah, they're a threat. I don't know. Well, how is it like one of those Ramadas? Was it a Ramada Inn where they all? No, it's just a Gaylord. Um, there's, I, I don't know. It's an East Coast chain, I guess. Um, it's the same mm. place they do Magfest and um, some mm. others. It's in Maryland. I think there's one in Florida. I don't know for sure. You get that many people, somebody's going to screw it up for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Luckily, no furniture was thrown this time, but someone did shit in the gazebo. It's in the very open middle center of the convention hall. So, how oh, classy. Classy. <laughs> Conventions are scary. It's like these people, because these people don't do like spring breaks in Mexico. We're not doing like Girls Gone Wild stuff. We're doing other things like throwing furniture and drinking in costume. Travis Willingham, uh, we were, it was, it was also in that Florida convention. They had a, a river that was man made that flew flowed through the whole complex and he was freaking hot and he had a bathing suit on underneath his clothes. He strips down to his bathing suit and he gets into the water, right? Well, he had washed his clothes, I guess, with some, with too much soap. So it started fizzing up and like bubbling everywhere and everything. And it went right into the pool. And so he got this reputation of bringing uh, soap suds and pouring it into the, to the river, which it was just an accident. But uh, for years, we just let the legend tell itself. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry if you can hear my cat yelling at me. Hey, come here. Hey, kitty. Come here. You want to meet a friend? Come here. Oh, oh nice I shirt. Oh, thank you. I just <laughs> saw the drag. It was a Dragon Ball shirt. Hi, kitty. This is Lunchbox. <laughs> Lunchbox. Hey, Lunchbox. I've got two Chihuahua mixes. They're Chihuahua oh. uh, Chinese crested mixes. Oh, how cute. My godparents had a chihuahua named Nacho for several years, so chihuahuas have a special place in my heart. <laughs> well, the thing is, they're, they're a si- one of them was the size of a chihuahua, like, and the other one was a little bit bigger. And then one of them just started losing, the little one started losing her hair. And we were like, oh no, because we were told it was a poodle chihuahua mix, right? And we took it to the vet, and they gave her all kinds of medicine, and it just made her loopy it didn't really help her at all and then we got a new vet and he said this is a chinese crested they're supposed to lose their hair and went oh oh okay so we'll just get her some sweaters you know (laughs) scratch that sweater dog she's got a fashionable dog yeah she looks cool that's incredible 
Okay, I don't want to keep you forever, so I am going to ask my last burning question, which is, right. and I'm sure you've answered it a million times, but I have to ask because Full Metal Alchemist is like the most important story to me. To, to a lot of people, they lose their clothes over it. <laughs> yeah. Did you cry <laughs> when Maze died? I did, but I cried because I was unemployed. <laughs> it was like... So- was such a cool character. And then he dies. But Mike McFarlane was directing that episode. And he the and he said, look, this is a very pivotal episode. So usually we don't get to see the scripts ahead of time. He gave me back then. This is so long ago. I had a VHS tape. And he gave me a tape and gave me a script, a paper script to go home and watch this. So that I'd be very familiar with it. Right. And it was really cool. And it was a great, great send off to the character. But then a few months later, it aired on TV. And. I was at Funimation recording a new show, and he said, oh, hey, uh, Mace Hughes died on TV last night. I'm like, great. And he goes, oh, does that make you sad? And he says, I'm going to show you something that's going to cheer you up. And he took me to all these different websites where people were crying because Hughes died. And I was like, I made the nation cry. Yes. Twice. Twice, Sonny. Twice. I was inconsolable i it tore me apart i didn't want to watch it for a bit i had to like take a break a good like month off each time which death did you did you would you thought i would say enjoy but which death uh did you like better the the original one or brotherhood brotherhood kind of touched me in a different way um yeah all of Brotherhood really, really got me in ways that the original didn't because the way that Brotherhood was done got a little bit more on the in-between. Well, that's because it was where... was definitely more true to the manga, too. Yeah, exactly. But when they were able to kind of blow it up into a bigger picture and give the original more time, there was just a little bit more for me. And that's where it really sank its teeth in and got me. Oh, I was <laughs> I was going to say Brotherhood is like my favorite, but the original got me more because you spend more time with the Hughes family beforehand. And so it hits you harder. I think it was executed more. The original was executed much more poetically. And that's why it does make you cry more. Um, But Brotherhood was just delicious being able to bleed and do all this just agony that just goes on and on and on. And I, I knew it was that. coming, so it was like I had to really grip onto every moment he was on screen because I knew I had, it was a ticking bomb of when he was going to be gone. I couldn't handle it. Yeah, you get the agony of I know what's coming with Brotherhood, but with the original, because I watched all of the original and then watched Brotherhood as it aired because I was such a big fan of the original. Um, I was blindsided completely and just lost it. <laughs> Well, so it happens upset. a lot sooner too. Mm-hmm. You're not expecting it, like episode nine, I think. Yeah, it, ooh, it's like a sucker punch. It really just yeah. comes at you when you're not ready for it. I think the the part that actually hits me harder is later, whenever Ed doesn't know, and he and Al are talking about when they just want to have Miss Gracie's pies, and that was the one that I'm like, I gotta walk away, man. I can't look at this. So it's not when Alicia's sitting there at the grave going, Daddy's got work to do. Give me my shovel. Daddy, come out. I'm reliving no. it. I have PTSD flashbacks. <laughs> um, it, that was like all the wash at once. And then when you think you're in the clear and then like three episodes later, you hear them talking about they just want to see the we Hughes family again. Up. I'm like, God, I cannot. <laughs> I want to see the Hughes family again. <laughs> we at Funimation... It, 
we've been doing this what 25 years and now with with uh, Crunchyroll um it's such a long history that the our reputation has changed dramatically over the years when we started we were the bane of anime that we were ruining the industry according to all critics right and then we got i think blue gender and then um Lupin the third, and then we got the first uh, Full Metal Alchemist, right? And at that point, um, we started becoming like this incredible source of the, the actually the high watermark of dubbing. When and we started winning awards and getting a lot more attention, and then I think Justin's Fruit Basket came out like right after that, and so we started getting more and more accolades on top of that. So that was actually the beginning of Funimation being taken seriously as a, a, a contributor to anime, you know? I remember that cultural shift and mentioning mm-hmm. to people like, oh, I like dubbed anime, don't judge me, because everyone would just be like, you can't, that's not how, not in the way of the purest mindset now, but in the mindset of dubs are literally bad for anime. And it's so... uh refreshing and heartwarming to see the appreciation now that everyone that's involved with from either either language either a continent um is is really pouring their all into it and it just well the first the first full metal alchemist was directed by colleen clinkenbeard and mike mcfarland and i remember colleen was handling the auditions and um i went in for red for hughes and one of the lines is sorry but i've got a wife and a daughter to go home to right and uh, she said, uh, hey, Sonny, we're going out for drinks after the audition. You want to go? And I said, sorry, but I have a wife and daughter to go home to. And she went, oh, my God. And I left. And she said, OK, that's cast. That's done. <laughs> Nailed it. Really drove it home. Mm-hmm. Love it. Oh, my gosh. OK, thank you. You've completed my my young Nebula um, burning <laughs> question of I needed to know about Maze because he was always one of my favorites. All right. Now, how did you come up with Nebula? Um, So when I, it's a weirdly long story. Um, When I was younger, I would say about 10 years ago, I had this burning desire to be a tattoo artist. It was my only goal in life. That's all I wanted to do. I would draw tattoo designs all day long and ignore school for it. Um, And I started the process finally when I was in college and I had this dream because I have a degree in entrepreneurship And so I had this dream that I wanted to open a tattoo studio, but to also have it be a local gallery. So artists could Mm. like rent out space, hang their work and sell it. And then the studio would get like a a portion of it. Um, And I could not for the life of me think of a name. And the name I came up with was Nebula Inc. Um, Like incorporated, but I N K. And I used that as a handle on like Xbox live and a bunch of other things for a long time. And then when my niece was born, uh, my sister-in-law was asking me, what do you want your aunt name to be? And Inky is my favorite uh, Pac-Man ghost. And ink is also my favorite traditional uh, medium. And so I said, well, they can call me Inky. It'll be their fun little Mm -hmm. nickname. And so then Nebula and Inky were combined. And that's my handle on everything. And I went by Inky for a really long time. And my friend who's a Twitch streamer, called me out in chat once randomly and refused to call me Inky and said, I'm not saying that shit. Your name's Nebula. And it just stuck. <laughs> <laughs> my friend, Billy, 
started calling me Sunyan back when we were drawing the sex gophers in college, right? And I never had a nickname because Sonny is a nickname. My real name is Don Raphael Strait. Because, but my dad is also Don Raphael. My parents started calling me Sonny from birth. So no one gives you a nickname if your name is Sonny, right? Um, but he started calling me, hey, Sonyan, you know, and he'd be saying, hey, the Sonyan, you know, it's the Sonyan's here. And um, he started saying it on Facebook when Facebook started out. And now everyone calls me the Sonyan, you know, it's like, and, and it's got to delight him because it was usually just his name for me. Now the whole world calls me Sonyan. Oh, I love that. You should do like a little logo of your face and then like a little onion as a hat. It'd be cute. <laughs> it would. I it, sometimes sign my art Sonyan. Oh, I love if it. If it's cheeky enough, oh, I'll sign cute. it Sonyan. Nah, it's cute. I like it. I'm without nicknames because my name is too short. Your nickname is literally Parks. It's in the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, we can't come up with one now. No, no, we don't need no, this to. This has to be it's well just, thought out and considered. It's just, I don't know. I, go, I stick with Parks because Parker is too formal on things. But also, it's not even my main handle. I go by a completely different thing on my branded cards because... It's easier that way than giving people my actual name. But I can't bring that name because I stole it from League of Legends when I was like 15. I can't bring that to my branded like cop. I, I don't want to be copyright struck. So I'm Parks here. That's, that's well, all started, it is. I started painting recently and I, I painted 30 years ago, but hmm. I worked for a portrait caricature stand. And sometimes people commission me to do full paintings. And so hmm. the only paintings I did were of people's faces but I started doing some landscapes recently and I went, this doesn't feel like me at all. You know, it's just, I'm just knowing I got to practice with landscapes and stuff and, and other things. And I thought, well, Raphael is my middle name. So I'll just sign it Raphael, right. It's a joke. <laughs> and then people started taking me seriously, like, but not seriously. Like I'm, we're going to take that seriously. Are you seriously going by Raphael? You know, like, my dad and, and my uncles were making fun of him, you know, oh yeah, it's Raphael, you know, because my dad painted his motorcycle recently and he goes, yeah, it's my latest work from Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Raphael's a badass name. So I, it's a great name for a painter. It's a perfect yeah, name absolutely. for a painter. And then I, just, I abbreviated to Raph, you know. Mm -hmm. You should practice all your landscapes and then in the background, just really tiny, draw like your little characters fighting or like a robot or something or a tiny alien abduction. I actually do do that a lot. Like there are little creatures that you just don't see. But like, I think I draw a lot in shapes, you know, and even though I'm drawing this, I'm actually also drawing something else. Uh, so it, it, it gives it a certain kind of, I don't know what it is. It gives it a stylized look for some reason. And it just, it, it resonates on a different level. Feels more organic. Yeah. I see. She, my wife tells me, I see creatures in your artwork all the time. So I, I put them there, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. It's like having specific line weights of being able to put just a little bit extra in there. And it's, I love that organic feeling to art. It's my personal favorite whenever I see it. Yeah. It's weird too, because it really, uh, and the end, of it, it doesn't really matter what you do, you know, it's just that you are doing something. And if you have some sort of care that you're giving to it, some kind of special thing, like a line weight variation, or you're giving it, okay, I'm drawing, yeah, I'm drawing this person's head, but I'm also drawing a dinosaur or whatever that you will never see, but you mm -hmm. will see it. You'll see the quality and the, the care that was given to it. 
And that's all that really matters is that you do care about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That you're having fun and creating. That's such a good note for us to end on, I think, because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but that was... This is a great interview. It's all about art. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's what we do. That's what we talk about. We just love talking to fellow creatives and people who also love the the fandom environment that we love and that we met through. So it's been a super delight to have you on and you're always welcome back. Um, Thank you. Is there anything that you want to plug or link to or anything like that? Well... You can see me at MegaCon. Um, I've actually got a lot of bookings coming out. I should have grabbed my calendar. Um, but also, uh, you can check, see me on TikTok at Sunny Straight. You can see uh, Sunny Straight on Twitter, but I don't ever get any views on Twitter because I have not gotten that blue check or whatever it is I have to do. Um, <clears throat> I really I get more response from Facebook than I do from Twitter. Um, and on Facebook, I'm Sunny Straight and Instagram at Sunny Straight as well. Instagram is where I post most of my artwork like most people, which I don't get. I don't get why that one, because it is the least pixelized uh, images you can see are on that. Uh, the images look better on Twitter, but right. whatever. I, right? Twitter algorithm is just a nightmare. I hate it. I don't, I try to post pictures there because that's where they're in their full thing. I'm not cropped. I get cropped a lot because I'm so tall. So I can't post like my full body stuff on my Instagram has to go Twitter only. Twitter doesn't show it to anyone, no matter Twitter. What. I mean, it's like, and they're trying to get rid of TikTok, right? And I'm like, you're just trying to get rid of TikTok because your algorithms suck. Yeah, you're Tick- jealous. TikTok, if, how about create something like TikTok, you know, that's a practically a home recording studio on your phone. Yeah. And, anyway, I'm going to get off my high horse and let you guys go. Well, I'll make sure to to tag you on Twitter. I, I will post it. I will post it on Twitter. Nobody will see it. And then I'll talk about it on, on Facebook and more people will see it. And I'll talk about it on, on TikTok. And then a lot of people see it. <laughs> we appreciate you so much for your time. Uh, the same offer we extended, Chris, if you ever want to come back, you are free to our podcast can be your playground. <laughs> you can always come back if you'd like, hopefully I run into you at a con soon. Cause that would be awesome. But yeah, well, maybe if I get to Utah, there's um, Oklahoma comic con in August this year. If you yeah. want to look into that, you can come see me. It's in Oklahoma City, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll go out there. We'll 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 play Stomp the Bee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would love to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to our interview with Sunny Straight. And if you liked that episode and you want to hear more, including a video version of our interview that is uncut with a little teaser of a new guest we might have on soon, you can check out the pod at fandamespod at patreon.com. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at fandamespod. You can follow Parks at Crown Guard Cosplay on Instagram and at Little Light B on Twitter. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Nebula underscore Inky. Bye!